0: Take a Bible this morning and find the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Our passage is in Isaiah 50, so you can make your way to Isaiah 50. This is week five of six in a Christmas trek through the book of Isaiah. We're not looking at the entire book, we're just picking selected passages, prophecies that point us forward, that teach us about Jesus, who he would be, why he would be born, what his ministry would be like how he would die, how he would rise from the dead. And these are the passages that we're looking at, Isaiah 7, 9, 42, 49, 50, and then 52 and 53 next week. I think it's a good time this morning to stop and just acknowledge that here in Odessa, Texas, at Emmanuel Baptist Church in the year 2018, we're taking Sunday mornings together to look backward and to listen to a man who lived 2,700 years ago, 2,700 years ago. We're going back and listening to Isaiah, and we're listening to what Isaiah had to say about someone who would come, someone who would be born 700 years in front of him, in his future. Right, sometimes we think about the Bible and we just lump all this stuff in this big catch-all category we call Bible days. Well, all this stuff happened in Bible days. Well, there was a lot of days in the Bible days. And you can go back 2,700 years all the way to Isaiah. And Isaiah was looking forward 700 years, seven centuries into the future, talking about somebody that was going to be born. Somebody that was going to be born as a a child. Somebody that was going to come and and bring justice and salvation. It's a remarkable thing to think about. 2018, Odessa, Texas, we're listening to a man who lived on the other side of the world 2,700 years ago, predicting the future 700 years into his future, 2,000 years into our past. It's just a remarkable thing. We're going to come back to that idea As we wrap up this morning, I want to just review the prophecies we've looked at with you very quickly. Uh, Isaiah 7 and 9, you can kind of lump them together. They're prophecies about the birth and the identity of Jesus. Isaiah 7 and 9 talk about a human baby that would be born. A human baby. They also talk about this human baby being Emmanuel, meaning God with us. They call this baby The mighty God, the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. So way, way back in Isaiah, you're wrestling with this tension of who is this savior that's coming? Is he human? Is he divine? And Isaiah's answer is yes, he's both. It's a human baby, and it's also God with us. And then we jump to Isaiah 42 and 49, and you can kind of lump these two together. Isaiah 42 says the servant of the Lord will bring justice to all of the earth. And Isaiah 49 says the servant of the Lord will bring salvation to all the peoples. So Isaiah says when the servant comes, justice will be known throughout the entire world. Everything that's wrong is one day going to be set right. That's the the heart of this idea of justice. All the wrongs you see and experience and feel, they're all going to be set right by this servant and salvation will be made available will may be made a reality for all of the peoples not all people not every single individual but for all of the nations this wasn't just for Israel it was for all the nations and we saw the prophecy last week where God said it's too light a thing for you to bring salvation just to Jacob we're going to bring salvation to all of the nations all of the peoples This morning, Isaiah 50, it's the third of Isaiah's servant songs, and the context here matters. The actual servant song picks up in verse 4, but we're going to talk about the first three verses because the context is important, and the context is the coming exile of Judah, right? Two kingdoms came out of the nation of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel has already been sent into exile in Assyria. The Assyrians came, they conquered Israel, they took those people into exile. Now Isaiah is living in the southern kingdom of Judah. Exile in Babylon is about a hundred years into the future, but it's coming. There's no question about it. God's already said, you people are going to get kicked out of this land. It's a hundred years into the future. And before it ever happens, a hundred years out, God starts to talk about it, And the Lord, God, wants to clear up any misunderstandings about the exile. The Lord knows that when he sends Judah into exile at the hands of the Babylonians, it's going to look bad on him, the Lord. And he knows what people are going to think, and he knows what people are going to say. And so he starts off here just sort of trying to explain what's happening and what's not happening. Let's just read the first three verses. They're challenging verses. There's a lot of questions Sometimes you're not sure what Isaiah expects the answer to be. That's a a nature of translating Hebrew into English. Let's just read the first three verses and talk about what it says. Isaiah 50, starting in verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. It's challenging verses, but this is what the Lord is saying. He's saying, I'm going to send these people, southern kingdom of Judah, I'm going to send them into exile, and I know what people are going to say when I do that. Some people are going to say, I have divorced my people, that I have broken my covenant that I made with them. I made this promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I affirmed it to David. And people are going to look at this, and they're going to say, oh, look. He divorced his people and he, he got rid of them. And he asked this question in verse 1. He says, where's the certificate of divorce? And the implied answer in the Hebrew is there isn't one. And he's saying, I haven't divorced my people. I'm kicking them out of the land, but I haven't abandoned them and gone back on my covenant. There's other people that are going to say, well, maybe he sold them to pay a debt. That seems strange to us, to think about God paying debt. But think about in the ancient world, gods and goddesses and all the drama and the the interactions between the pantheons of the deities. That would have been a common idea. And some people would have said, look, obviously the Lord Yahweh owed somebody something and so he got rid of these people and he he made it square. And he says, no, 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 no. I haven't sold you to a creditor. I haven't just got rid of you to make a cheap buck. That's not what's going on. He also knows, thirdly, that some people are going to say, I guess the Lord just wasn't strong enough to save them. I guess the gods of the Babylonians were just stronger. The gods of the Assyrians were stronger. God just couldn't stick up for his people. He couldn't do it. And he says at the end of this, Is my arm too short to save you and to redeem you? With a word, I can dry up the rivers and the fish die. I control the the stars and the heavens and everything in the sky. I can save you. It's not that I'm I'm too weak to save you. And he explains it at the end of verse 1. He says, for your iniquities you were sold. And for transgressions you were sent away. It's because of your stubborn, rebellious idolatry that you are going to be sent into exile. And he's just clearing all that up on the front end. That leads us to the big idea of this song. This third servant song. And here it is. The servant of the Lord would save his people through obedience and suffering. The servant's going to come. We already know he's going to bring justice. We already know he's going to bring salvation. And now Isaiah says he's going to save his people through obedience. He's going to be obedient. And through suffering. The servant is going to suffer. And so just follow along in your bible we're going to read Isaiah 50 verse 4 through the end of the chapter it says the lord god has given me the tongue of those who are taught that i may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary morning by morning he awakens he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught the lord god has opened my ear and i was not rebellious i turned not Backward, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who's my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the prophet, for the words that he spoke so many years ago. We're grateful that they came to pass, that they were true. Father, we're grateful for lessons and And important realities about Jesus and salvation and sin and your holiness and justice that we find in these passages. And Lord, as we celebrate Christmas this week, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the one who was born of the virgin, the one who is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, as we celebrate the birth of Emmanuel, Father, give us understanding as to why he came. What was his mission? What was his purpose? Father, help us to see how it changes us and how it impacts our lives. And we pray in his name. Amen. Over the last few weeks, I've been reading a couple of books. The author's name is Leif Anger. And they're fiction books. They're just stories. And uh, I had a friend recommend this author to me. And I've read two of his books. And I'm reading a third right now. The second book I read has a character in it named Glendon Hale. Glendon Hale. He's one of the most interesting characters I've ever read about in a book. And he's a character that as you move through the book, it feels like every time you turn the page, you feel a little bit differently about Glendon Hale. You start off and you meet him, and he's sort of this lovable loser that just sort of seems uh, driftless and uh, maybe I should say adrift in life. And then you learn a few things about him as you keep reading. And some of the things are surprising and some of the things you can see coming, but some of them you don't see coming at all. And if you keep reading for a while, you get to a point in the book where you don't like Glendon Hale at all. I mean, he's just rotten. But then if you keep reading, you go a little further in the book, you say, oh, I kind of like this guy. Uh, he's okay. And you get to the end of the book and you're just rooting for him with all you've got. And then there's a great ending. I won't ruin it for you. But the author takes you on this roller coaster of how you feel towards this character named Glendon Hale. And the way that he does it is very simple he withholds information, he doesn't just come out on the very first page and say, Let me tell you everything about Glendon Hale. Instead, he introduces you to this guy, and you don't know very much about him, and he just leaves a trail of, let's call them breadcrumbs. And you just follow him one at a time. And every time you turn the page, you learn something new, and you figure out something different, and you go on this wild roller coaster of emotion of, do I like this guy? Do I not like this guy? Who is he? What has he done in his past? What is he trying to do in his present? And it's all just this slow drip of information. In a strange way, that's exactly what Isaiah is doing with the servant of the Lord. He's not coming right out from the get-go and just saying, okay, I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about the servant right here. Are you ready? Get your pen and paper out. Here we go. Information dump. Instead, he kind of leaves us breadcrumbs. It's just kind of a slow drip of information. So you're reading through Isaiah, and you read Isaiah 7 and 9. And Isaiah 7 and 9 talk about the nature of the servant. Who is it? It's a child that's going to be born, a human child. And it's Emmanuel. It's actually, in the fullest sense, and the realest sense, God with us. This one who's coming is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He's the one. He tells you who he is. And then if you keep reading, you get to Isaiah 42 and 49, and you learn something about his mission, right? Just a little more information. Who is he? Well, he's the one who's come to bring justice, all the wrong things. He's the one that's going to set them right, and he's the one who's come to provide salvation for his people. He's come to save them. You don't know how he's going to do it, but you say, okay, someone's going to come and bring justice, and someone's going to come and bring salvation. This is great. And then if you keep reading, you come to our text, Isaiah 50 and Isaiah 52 and 53 next week, and the prophet begins to unfold for you. Here's how he's going to do it. He's told you who he is, right? He's told you why he's coming, and now he begins to get to the nitty-gritty, the nuts and bolts and saying, this is how it's all going to happen. And it just builds all the way through. The one obvious difference is that when you read about Glendon Hale, you love him and you hate him and you're up and you're down and you root for him and you root against him. As you read about the servant, it's more like a steady uphill climb. And as you read these prophecies, some things are not really clear. Some things aren't really, uh, you can put all the pieces together. But if you keep reading, you just feel almost a magnetism towards the servant. Almost like you're being drawn to the servant. And it's not a roller coaster up and down where you love him or you hate him. You're just drawn to this mysterious character that the prophet is talking about. And in our passage, Isaiah 50, he begins to say to us, this one who's coming, this human divine figure, this one who's going to bring justice and salvation, here's how he's going to do it. And he gives us several remarkable thoughts. The first is this. The servant of the Lord would listen to... And submit to the Lord. He wasn't coming to be the boss. He was coming to listen. And he was coming to obey. Look in your Bible at Isaiah 50. At the very first part of verse 4. It's an interesting phrase depending on how your translation words it. But in the ESV it says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. That's sort of an Old Testament fancy way of saying, I speak like an educated man. I'm not a fool. I'm not a dummy. I speak with the tongue of someone who has been taught. That's Jesus, right? This son of a carpenter walks around Jerusalem and Nazareth and Capernaum and all these places, and he teaches and he speaks. And everywhere he goes, people say, wait a minute, wait a minute. How does he know all this stuff about Isaiah? How does he know all this stuff about the Old Testament? How does he know all this stuff that he's talking about? How does he speak as one who has authority and one who has power? This guy, he hasn't been to school. He doesn't have any letters up on the wall. He doesn't have any certification or qualification to say these things. But when we listen to him, he speaks as one who has power. He listened to the Father. Look at verse 4 at the, the end. It says, Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. He's listening to the Father. He's paying attention to the Father. It's a remarkable thought at Christmas to think about Jesus and to listen to what Isaiah is saying and to remind ourselves that in all of human history, the number one wisest man... Whoever walked the face of this earth was unlettered, undegreed, and uneducated. The wisest. And he gained all of that wisdom and all of that power and all of that ability to speak as one who was taught by listening to the Father. Look at Isaiah 50, verse 5. He listened and he obeyed. It says, The Lord has opened my ear. He's listening. And I was not rebellious; I turned not backward. This servant is going to listen to the father, and he's going to obey the father. And when you read in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, you come across multiple passages just like this one in John chapter eight. That you realize this is talking about Jesus. Jesus says, "When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He; that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just." As the Father has taught me. That's not a direct quote from Isaiah 50, but it's lifted right out of Isaiah 50. I speak as one who's been taught. I'm listening to the Father day by day. The Lord is instructing me. I speak as the Father has taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. He said it right here in Isaiah 50, verse 5. I was not rebellious and I turned not backwards. I always did the things that are pleasing to the Father. So how is the servant going to bring justice? How is he going to save us? Well, number one, he's going to listen and he's going to submit to the Lord. Number two, the servant of the Lord would suffer. He's going to suffer. And this is if you're just following the trail of breadcrumbs, this is like Isaiah drops a loaf right here. And it sort of should get your attention. Because everything up to this point is sort of almost expected. You read about this child, and he's going to be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the, all these great things. The government's going to rest on his shoulder. And of course, he's going to bring justice, Isaiah 42. And of course, he's going to bring salvation. He's going to save his people, Isaiah 49. And it's all building. And then you get to chapter 50, and the prophet says, How's he going to do it? He's actually going to suffer going to suffer look at isaiah 50 verse 6 i gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard i hid not my face from disgrace and spitting and you say well that doesn't sound like justice that sounds like injustice that sounds like abuse that sounds like assault and isaiah is telling us that the servant is going to bring justice and salvation by suffering and when you read isaiah 50 just drill it into your mind Isaiah said that 700 years before Jesus suffered. Seven centuries. It's almost like Isaiah's quoting the Gospels. Look at these passages. Put several on the screen. John 19:1. Pilate took Jesus. And he flogged him. Mark 14, 65, some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him. Matthew 27, they spit on him and they took the reed and they struck him on the head. I mean, we could go on and on and on with scriptures. And you say, it's almost like Isaiah knew what was going to happen. He did. That's the nature of prophecy. He's just spelling it out. This is how the servant will bring justice. This is how the servant will save his people. The servant is uniquely qualified to bring justice. Why? Because he submitted himself to injustice. And the servant is uniquely qualified to save his people, to bring salvation. Why? It's because he suffered for his people. And way back, 2,700 years ago, the prophet Isaiah is taking us past the manger all the way to the cross. He's taking us past Bethlehem all the way to Jerusalem. He's taking us past Christmas all the way to Good Friday when Jesus suffers for his people. And we're going to talk more about that next week. Third thing that Isaiah says is this. How is he going to bring justice? How is he going to bring salvation? The servant of the Lord would be helped by and vindicated by the Lord. He's going to be helped by the Lord and he's going to be vindicated by. By the Lord. Look, this is not complicated. If you've read the Gospels, you know how the story ends. Jesus submitted himself to injustice, he suffered greatly for his people, and three days later, just like he said, he was vindicated. He experienced help in the greatest of ways. He rose from the dead. And the most remarkable thing about it is that he predicted it, right? Long before Babe Ruth pointed to the outfield and called his shot, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, They're going to flog me. And they're going to spit on me. And they're going to treat me unjustly. They're going to arrest me. They're going to crucify me. They're going to murder me. And three days later, I'm going to rise. Look what we read in the Gospels. Mark 10. Jesus is talking to his buddies. He says, we're going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death. They will deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him. They will spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. He predicted this three times that we know of in the Gospels. Just looking his buddies right in the eyeball... And saying, this is exactly how it's going to go down. They're going to murder me. They're going to kill me. It's going to be really, really bad. And three days later, I'm going to come back. I'm going to be vindicated. Weeks before it happened, he predicted it. And maybe even more remarkably, centuries before it happened, Isaiah predicted it. Look at Isaiah 50, verse 7, 8, and 9. The Lord God helps me. He helps me. Therefore, I've not been disgraced. I've set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. The one who vindicates me is near. Who's going to contend with me? Who is my adversary? Who will declare me guilty? Verse 9, the Lord God helps me. All of them will wear out like a garment, and the moth will eat them up. The Lord will help me. The Lord will vindicate me. Isaiah predicted it. How does all of this impact Christmas for us in 2018? I want to give you two thoughts for Christmas reflection this week. Number one, we should have supreme confidence in the Word of God. We should have supreme confidence in the Word of God. Let me just pause Isaiah and give you a little bit of inside baseball from the last century of theology in the United States and especially in Europe. In the early part of the 1900s, there was a group of scholars, sometimes they're called critical scholars or higher critical scholars and very popular in Europe, began to drift over into the United States, infiltrated our seminaries, this, this new higher thought, new critical thought as, as regards the scriptures. And these theologians, we'll call them, Bible scholars, were of the liberal bent, not politically liberal, but theologically liberal. And they started reading passages, books of the Bible like Isaiah, and they were very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. They read Isaiah and they said, it looks like he predicted what was going to happen in the future. They understood what the words said. But they also had staked out a position that there was no such thing as supernatural miracles, prophecy, anything like that. It really wasn't possible. Many of them weren't even sure that there was an actual God up there, that this was just a nice story that people had come up with down here. And they read Isaiah and they said, you know, we don't believe that that sort of thing's possible. We're too scientific to believe that. We have mastered the world by studying it in a laboratory and we don't believe that that sort of thing is possible how in the world could this ancient hebrew prophet speak about these things so accurately 700 years out and so they came up with a theory and their theory was isaiah didn't really write isaiah that's the theory they said some other guy wrote it after all the stuff happened I mean way into the future. They fast forward it way up into the the modern times, you might say, and they say somebody looked around, they saw everything that had happened to, to Israel and to Judah, and they wrote this book. They had heard about a famous guy named Isaiah, so they sort of pilfered his name and stamped it on here. Isaiah wrote it, and they passed it off as prophecy. Really, they said, what you're reading is a book of history. Isaiah didn't write it 700 years before it happened. Some unknown scribe or group of scribes got together and cobbled it together, and they looked back, and they saw what had actually happened, and then they passed it off as prophecy. That was their theory. They explained it away. It was a nice theory as far as theories go, right? And conservative Bible scholars argued with them and didn't buy it, and they went back and forth. But then in the 50s, something interesting happened. There's a a set of caves, out in the Middle East, out in the middle of nowhere, and there was a shepherd. You think that I'm, I'm, what I'm about to tell you is made up. This is honest to God, true. There's a shepherd out there, and he looks up, and, you know, teenage boy, out in the desert, nothing to do, watching the sheep, whatever. You look up and you see a hole in the rock. You say, I wonder if I could throw a rock in that. So he starts picking up rocks, and he starts chucking them up there. And eventually, he gets one to go in, and it goes in the hole, and he hears the breaking of pottery not what he expected to hear. So they kind of climb up there and they check it out and they go in these caves and inside these caves are all of these clay pots, all of these different uh, pottery vessels and they start looking in them and they all have scrolls in them. They all have ancient Hebrew scriptures or writings on it and they start, they get them out and they start reading through them and they're looking through it. It's basically the Old Testament. It's not in the order that we have it in in our Bible, but it's all these different scrolls of the Hebrew Scriptures. And they're old. They're really old. They've been there for a long, long time. One of them is called the Great Isaiah Scroll. And this is a picture of it all spread out. It's massive in real life. It's just rolled up, put in one of these pots, out in the middle of nowhere. This one is the Great Isaiah Scroll. The technical name is the 1Q Isaiah A Scroll. It is the oldest complete copy of the book of Isaiah that we have. We don't have the original that Isaiah wrote, but this one is really, really old. And here's the funny thing. It's way older than all these liberal scholars thought it could ever have been. I mean, it just dates way, way, way back, and it's exactly word for word right. right? There's some small differences. The differences are like the difference in you and thou, Just sort of updated language or updated Hebrew. But it's word for word what you find in the book of Isaiah. And I tell you this story just to say this. I realize that we are meeting together in Odessa, Texas in 2018. And we're talking about a man. I'm asking you to believe that he lived 2,700 years ago. That he predicted events 700 years into the future, which those events are now 2,000 years in our rearview mirror. And I'm asking you to believe that it's all true. And I'm fully aware that there are some lettered people, degreed people, educated people who look at that and laugh. I mean, they, they just think we're Bible thumpers. They just think we're ignoramuses. And they've come up with all sorts of theories to look back at this book and to say, no, 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 it really doesn't mean what you think it means. No, 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 it really didn't go down like that. No, 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 this wasn't prophecy. This was really history looking back on it. And I'm just telling you, one, history has vindicated the truthfulness of this. It's true and it's right. You don't have to question it. I don't care what the History Channel says. I don't care what the Jesus Seminar group of scholars say as they get together and they vote on what's true and what's not true. You can Trust it. You can believe it. It's true. This story about a baby being born in Bethlehem, growing up and living a life of perfect obedience, willingly giving himself to be crucified by a bunch of rogue political puppets. It's true. Even the part where three days later he comes back to life, it's all true. We get together at Christmas. We have all sorts of Christmas traditions in the United States. All sorts. And I'm not here to pick on your favorite tradition or your favorite tale or whatever. But we just tend to lump all those together. And some of them are clearly fairy tales and some of them are not. And some of them have basis in history. And I'm just saying to you, this one is true. It's true. And when you read the scriptures, you can have complete confidence that what Isaiah is describing, what the gospel writers tell you about, what Paul explains in the book of Colossians, all of it from beginning to end, from the table of contents to the maps in the back, it's true. And you can have confidence in it. Secondly, how does this impact our worship at Christmas? We should listen to the servant. We should listen to him. And when you listen to the servant, it requires fearing and obeying and trusting. Listen to the servant. That means you fear and you obey and you trust. Back to the first part of Isaiah 50. Keep your Bible open. Don't close it up yet. This first part of Isaiah 50 where you He's talking about the exile and he says, no, I haven't divorced them. No, I haven't sold them to pay a debt. No, I'm not too weak to save them. I'm sending them into exile for their sins and their iniquities and their transgressions. Right. In effect, what the Lord is saying is, these people did not listen to me. They did not listen to me. They did not fear me. They did not obey me. They did not trust me. They did not listen. I sent after prophet after prophet after prophet. After And they did not listen. And so they got sent into exile. And then you read the immediate contrast where the servant of the Lord shows up. And the servant says, the Lord inclines my ear to him. I'm listening. And I'm paying attention. I'm only doing what the Father wants me to do. I'm only doing what pleases the Father. He says in verse 5, I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I kept my face like a flint to honoring the father and doing what he wanted me to do. Right? Israel the nation did not listen. The servant of the Lord listened. And when you come to the end of Isaiah 50, the servant is saying to us, you my people need to listen. Listen to the servant. That means fearing him and that means obeying him and that means trusting him. I read a commentary this week and The author of the commentary's name is Ray Ortland. He's a pastor of Emanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee. They got it from us, I think. I'm sure we had it first. And he wrote this commentary. And the chapter on Isaiah 50, here's the first words in his chapter on Isaiah 50. Why do we have ears on the outside of our heads? Why not on the inside? Because we're not supposed to listen to ourselves. (laughs) That's pretty good advice. You are not supposed to listen to yourself. And our culture says that's exactly what you're supposed to do. Just listen to yourself. Follow your heart. And Isaiah 50 is about doing the exact opposite of that. Don't listen to yourself. That's what Israel, the nation, did. And it resulted in exile. You need to listen to the servant. Listen to him. Obey him. Fear him. Trust him. Look at verse 10. Who among you fears the lord and obeys the voice of his servant let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the lord and rely on his god and then there's a warning for those who don't if you don't want to do that there's going to be destruction and burning and torment and it's going to be really really bad he did it to the nation when he sent him into exile he'll do it in the end to those who don't listen But the challenge for us at Christmas, look, the challenge for us every day as followers of Jesus is to be people who listen to the servant. Do you fear him? Do you trust him? Do you obey him? Do you put your hope in him and rely on him? I'm going to ask you to bow and we're going to pray.